0: We'll touch on the three games in which you have the strongest opinion this weekend. And that starts with the first game in the Saturday doubleheader, the Raiders at the Bengals. Sounds like you consider the Raiders good down to plus four and a half. So even though the line has crashed down, still a little bit of wiggle room there if people haven't bet the Raiders yet.
1: Yeah, and I got it at six. Um, And to me, I, I think that the line is a little bit inflated, or at least it opened up inflated because of the perception of. Um, the fact that the Raiders uh, had to go to overtime in a tough game on a Sunday night and now have to play a short week, you know, there was kind of that inherent oh, uh, they're gonna be flat the next week and maybe they'll be too exhausted. And, and so, I, I, I did some research and I just couldn't find any evidence that, um, you know, situations like this now you don't get exact situations because how often do teams play in a short week in the last week of the year after? You know, playing overtime. It's not like that situation arises. But what I did was I looked at teams uh, that played a Monday night game um, because it's the same, you know, going from Monday night to to the next Sunday. It's the same kind of rest, um, you know, bad rest spot. You know, how many of those teams struggle the next week? And it just doesn't it just doesn't play out. Uh, I actually, in fact, the Raiders were in the same exact spot after week one. They, They played that Monday night game. At home against the Ravens, took them to overtime, won that game, and then the next week on a Sunday, flew cross country to play a one o'clock game uh, in Pittsburgh and blew out the Steelers. And you know, and I think the Ravens did it as well. They they came home and they they beat the, the Chiefs the next week. So you know, they're and I've looked like I said I look back and it's just been a mixed bag. Some covered, some didn't. So I, I don't know if that's as much of an issue uh, this week as maybe some are projecting. So I think that's why the line was initially inflated a little bit, and I think some of the sharps have really bet this thing down. But on the field, um, you know, I think the Raiders match up well. Uh, Offensively, you know, obviously they've got Darren Waller, um, who just came back last week. He's going to have a a really nice matchup against, you know, some bad linebackers for the Bengals. Um, Cincinnati really struggles covering tight ends, uh, and they cover the middle of the – they do a poor job of covering the middle of the field. Um, so their 24th in success rate allowed the tight ends down the middle of the field. Um, in general, they ranked dead last in yards per target allowed to those tight ends. I mean, Darren Waller in their first matchup, caught seven for 116. He had a 70% success rate. And three of those receptions were for 76 yards in the middle of the field. Derek Hart in that game was seven for seven for 115 yards and 100% success rate. Uh, on all attempts into the middle of the field. So that's a big advantage. I've actually faded the Bengals on that angle a couple times. I, I faded them um, against the 49ers because George Kittle I thought would have a huge, huge game and he did. Um, and that's that's kind of San Francisco's bread and butter. I also faded them against the Chargers mainly because I, their pass defense is overrated. They face the second easiest schedule of opposing pass offenses. So I think they, you know, every time they face a good quarterback or a good you know at least top half of the NFL offense, they've allowed a bunch of points. So I think that Derek Carr and that offense can move the ball. And I think the other side of the ball, uh, Max Crosby and, and Yannick Ngocla should have a field day against those tackles for the Bengals who have struggled all year. And you know, the right tackles, Isaiah Prince, who I know because he, he's an Ohio State guy, as, as I am, and he is not a good tackle. He's he's 12th, he's got the 12th worst pressure rate allowed among 82 NFL tackles this year. Um, he's really really struggled so i think crosby who leads the nfl in pr- in pressures by by 20 which is incredible he's had a great season and we saw what he did against that that poor uh, storm norton on the on the chargers last week i think wow. he could have a similar outcome here so i think that's going to be a tough spot and just in general the raiders don't blitz and joe burrows killed the blitz this year's number one in, in pff grade against the blitz he's still good you know when it's you know against non blitz uh, situations but just not as good and the Raiders play a lot of zone I mean essentially play all zone um, and the Bengals have struggled a little bit against zone versus you know kind of dominating man when it's you know you got Jamar Chase going one-on-one and T Higgins going to one-on-one with some of those corners um, they're not as effective against zone so I think all of that being said it's just a better matchup um, I like Derek Carr in the spot you know historically he's covered um, as a um as an underdog of over three points he's 56 for his career um and we've seen it this year um you know they're they're five and one ats and straight up as an underdog of over three points this year uh we saw those two wins on the road against dallas and in, in the colts so they they're definitely capable of going in there and winning i actually think they're very live I, I did i took a little bit on the money line as well so i think all in all it's just a good matchup you know first year first time uh, head coach and quarterback in the playoffs for, uh, for Cincinnati, it's it's tough to be laying that many points and to cover that margin. So uh, that's why I think the Raiders are the good spot here.
0: In addition to the Raiders plus the points, it sounds like potentially some interest in Darren Waller. I'm seeing receiving yards over 58 and a half, following up on the notion of looking toward props more often once we get to this stage of the season. And one more point that I would bring up from a betting angle that ties in with a lot of points you mentioned I've heard a lot of sharp people I respect talk about the first half going under, and I've gotten in play on that myself. Currently uh, can be had under 24, minus 115, maybe minus 120 is a maximum price for that bet. But playing into the Raiders' advantage in the trenches with their defensive front going against the Bengals O-line, you touched on Burrow really dissecting the Blitz and the Raiders' the least blitz-heavy team in the league, and in the first matchup during the regular season, they held Burrow to his lowest yards per attempt of the season. Maybe a bit of a free roll, too. Burrow a bit hobbled. Perhaps he came out of the Chiefs game with an injury late, didn't play against Cleveland, so we're not sure how he's going to respond. If he's less than 100%, that certainly could keep the scoreboard output in check. And then in terms of isolating the first half, this is the first playoff game for both head coaches and both quarterbacks. So maybe they come out a little bit conservative early. Do you have any read on the total for this game, particularly the first half possibly going under 24?
1: No, I like that. I mean, I think that makes sense. I didn't take it myself. Um, I typically don't love taking a side and a total of the same game. Um, They don't always correlate, but, um, you know, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, in the first matchup, I think it was 10 6 at halftime. It was I watched that game and I, it was funny because I actually had the over in that game. Yeah, same here. That
0: was that was Dead in the Water. So remember that. Yeah, it was Dead water.
1: in the Water, although they almost got it at the end just because of that flurry. So people look at that and say, "Oh, 32-13, the Bengals, you know, blew out, you know, the Raiders." That's not the case. I mean, the what's crazy is the Raiders outgained Cincinnati 6.1 to 4.3 yards per play, uh, and it was essentially even on the success rate um, uh, for both teams. So, it was essentially a coin flip from that uh, perspective. They just, you know, 16-13 with over 5 minutes left, and then the Bengals kind of they got a couple turnovers, they had a, a touchdown run from Jacobs. You know, it was it was not indicative of the of the actual final score. Um, but I do think that uh, both teams will come out running a lot more. I think that the Bengals have been conservative. It's funny they they had they're kind of um, there's a lot of the sharp guys you you see on Twitter complaining about how they're running the ball too much, um, especially on early downs, and and they kind of crank things up at the end of the year, but uh, in terms of passing the ball early downs. But I, I don't see them doing that here. I think that they you know again. Um, when you're not facing blitz fronts, when you you know, you think that kind of, okay, light box, I can run the ball with Nixon and kind of establish that with a, with a young quarterback. I think I'm going to do that. And I think that's what Zach Taylor would do. So I do agree there. Um, and, and both teams are pretty slow in general. Um, you're looking at, uh, uh, the Bengals are 29th in neutral game pace and the, the Raiders are 18th. And so, you know, I think that, that all trends to, to an under and just, you know, again, we don't blindly follow trends, you know, that's, that's something that we, Um, I think in general is, is a good anecdote, but I think for things like the wild card weekend, there are, there are, you know, data points that I think are interesting. If you could believe this, I I couldn't believe this when I, when I looked it up, non dome games in the wild card round have gone under in 25 of the last 36 games. Um, I mean, 69% of, of outdoor games have gone under in wild card games in the last 36. So pretty, pretty interesting. And I think it makes sense. Like teams are tighter um, in the first game of the, of the, of the wild card round. So um, you know, I, I agree. I think if you're going to look at a, at a total, that's the side I would want to be
0: on is the under. As you walk through that, one more quick prop I will throw your way for this one. Perhaps a look at Joe Burrow under 260 and a half passing yards. You mentioned that they could be especially run heavy with Mixon. I also heard Steve Fezzik talk about this a little bit. Uh, one more point we haven't touched on yet. Burrow's stats might be a bit skewed from the regular season. They went for the jugular against the Ravens to get him over 500 yards in the rematch. He also targeted Jamar Chase a lot to help Chase's case for rookie of the year, which is probably going to come through at this point. So if we see you know, a, a more neutral game where Burrow is not chasing 500 yards and they're not trying to feed Chase for a rookie of the year award, any quick thoughts on potentially looking at Burrow under 260 and a half pass yards?
1: So I did not take that, but I'm looking at my numbers. Um, I actually haven't got – there's been so much work to do. I have actually have not gotten to the quarterbacks yet, but I'm looking at just kind of my preliminary numbers before I make some adjustments. And just pure modeling, um, I, have, I have them at 255 yards for what it's worth. Um, and that doesn't take into account the weather and some some other things. But just using kind of my general model without any other tweaks, that, uh, you know, that number looks to be – a, sl- a slight um slightly higher than than what it should be but not by a lot uh but again that doesn't um you know consider that there's a new right tackle there and um the weather is is a little bit you know going to be a little bit of a factor and the fact that like you said that the, the kind of play calling might lend itself to a little bit more running so um so yeah i mean i think it's definitely worth a look um for sure the only problem is if the raiders get out ahead then it's they, the uh, that prop is probably dead in the water because the Bengals will just be throwing left right. and right. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think in general, that's uh it's a, it's a decent under there.
0: Got it. Okay. We can maybe just chalk that up as a lean for now and turn the page to the next game with uh, maybe more than a lean in play. And that would be the nightcap on Saturday, New England at Buffalo, the bills currently laying for pretty much left to right on the screen. Total of 44. What do you make of this one? Round three between the Patriots and the bills.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I don't know if I'm regretting this one or not, but I do have an under ticket and I know there's some sharps who are on the over, including Adam, which, you know, does, does bother me a little bit. I just, you know, here, here's my case here. Um, we, we've we been looking at the the weather report and normally I think some of that stuff is, is overrated, but I th- actually think it's underrated. You know, lately we even saw in the first matchup, we heard all about this crazy wind and cold temperatures and, that total slowly went down and then finally it, I think it closed at what 40 and it just it didn't even come close. And it's like, sometimes we, we, we kind of fool ourselves into thinking that weather doesn't matter. I mean, I'm looking at the, at, um, I use a, a weather app that I pay for. So it's a little bit more accurate than I think the general forecast. And I had seen single digit temperatures at kickoff, I think eight degrees. So I went back and I was just curious, you know, in the history of the NFL, not the history of the NFL, but since 1990, you just want to go back to you know, something that's a little bit more modern, um, how have games performed from a total perspective when uh, the temperatures are, are in single digits? There's been 20 NFL games since 1990 where they're at kickoff. It's been a single digit temperature. 13 of the 20, so 65% have gone under. Um, nine of the 11 games that had a total of at least 40, and obviously here we're looking at you know 44, nine of those 11 have gone under as well. Um, there's only been two of 20 games Um, where it's single digit temperatures where the team scored a combined over 43 points. So that just kind of blew me away. I said, whoa, you know, the market is not, you know, correctly incorporating um, just how impactful freezing weather like this can be. And so, you know, and then I looked and said, well, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, you know, the wind was really heavy in those games, too, because it's not supposed to be too windy here. Um, and no, the, the wind was really not a factor in any of those games. So it was purely cold weather. And so I, I texted a buddy of mine who played in the NFL, He actually played in Buffalo, he had a cup of coffee there, but he's been, you know, he was, um, you know, a Midwest guy and he's played on the East coast his entire career. And I said, Hey, you know, wh- what do you think? How impactful are kind of these, these abnormally cold temperatures, not cold, but like abnormally cold. And he said, I played in a couple and it's you, it's all you're thinking about all game. Your concentration level isn't the same. You can't make any real cuts because the the ground is frozen, so you, you know it's a lot harder to to cut if you're an offensive player. um And it's just and you get a, these Josh Allen, you know, frozen ropes, if, if you will, uh twenty yard lasers. That's going to be really hard to catch. It's going to be a, it's going to be a rock. So I, I think that just that in general, I think is being underplayed. I don't, I don't think that the weather is. uh I think it's being less kind of accounted for here, but again, maybe, maybe I'm the, I'm, you know, looking at this wrong. So I think that plus, again, I just talked about unders in general in this wildcard round go have gone under 69% of the time in the last 36 games. Um, you look, this is the third time these teams have played in the last six weeks. So, you know, that familiarity will, will cause, you know, uh, I think uh, an under lean, um, you know, you look since in the playoffs where teams have faced um, a division opponent. So the third time that they faced each other, in the playoffs, the under has hit 54% of the time. So everything has leaned that way. I mean, you look at the Bills. Four of the last Bills' uh, last seven games have gone under the total, and it would have been five if it wasn't for that OT game uh, against Tampa. Um, I just don't I, – I, you know, both of these teams are top eight in allowing the fewest explosive plays in the NFL – you know, like I said, I don't, I can't imagine Josh Allen's going to be slinging it deep and these receivers are going to be able to catch those rockets in the in the freezing temperatures like this. And we know that back Jones is not going to do that. So I don't know. All in all, to me, this was an underplay. Again, I, the Sharps look to be opposite of me. It, it bounced up to 44 and a half a little bit, back down to 44 today. So, you know, that's my lean. I, I think this is kind of a, you know, 23 17 type of game. I don't have a side on this, I'll be honest, but I think for me, uh, it's the under.
0: Yeah, I like the point. I mean, trying to catch some of those Josh Allen passes might be like trying to catch a brick fired out of a cannon from close range. Yeah, seriously, so that, right? <laughs> that might be a more meaningful factor than some of us would like to think. And a lot of the reasons you touched on your total breakdown did kind of tie in with why I have gotten in play on a side. And I'm on the Patriots plus four. When I look in addition to some factors you broke down, when I look at the line history and the first two matchups this season, it was an expensive plus three for the Patriots in that week 13 win game at Buffalo. And we can kind of throw that one out because of the unique weather circumstances, but in week 16, the Patriots were favored at home. So to see them catching four now, I'm just not sure how much has changed in a pretty short time period. I'm guessing one thing you could say to push back the other way would be Mac Jones is a rookie quarterback making his first playoff start.
1: Yeah. And I've talked about that. I talked about that uh, a couple of times on Twitter and, um, you know, if you look at, again, another trend, I hate using trends, but just it's, it really does. I think this stuff matters when you've got, when you can tell the story around it, you know, if it makes sense, um, you know, this isn't data mining. I mean, the, these, these first time playoff QBs versus quarterbacks who've, who've played in the playoffs before as Josh Allen has are 16 and 31 straight up and 14, 32 and one against the spread since 2002, When you look at rookie QBs, um, you know, a little bit better, actually, five and six against the spread, but still under 500, four and seven straight up. None of them threw for over 300 yards. Only eight of the 11 quarterbacks uh, on that list um, since 2002 threw for under 200 yards. And we're talking about a modern era of NFL. Um, So, you know, more more interceptions and touchdowns. It's just a lot of things against Mac Jones, and he hasn't been playing well lately. That's what scared me from a side here, too. Um, with, combined with that cold weather. You know, he's not used to that. The guy came from Alabama. He only played in Southern games. That win game was the first time. I actually was on Buffalo in that win game because I had thought that, you know, Mac Jones is not used to any of this. There's no way he can throw um, accurately. And he didn't. They didn't even let him. It was obviously all running. So I was kind of right from that perspective. This The, the Bills just couldn't stop them. So I'm not saying they're going to do that again, but it's going to be really run heavy. Like I can't imagine they're going to let Mac Jones's drop back and sling it 40 times. Um, and so I think it's going to be a lot of runs. It's going to be a lot of play action bootleg type of deals. And um, I actually think if you're looking for a, a prop, I haven't taken this, I haven't recommended it, but you know, I think his uh, Mac Jones's passing yardage is in the 200 range. I think that's a decent under there. I mean, I, I don't know if he can get to 200. I don't even know if he'll have enough attempts to get to 200. I have, I crazy enough, like this, this is, again, this is pure modeling. I, I have 158 yards for Mac Jones in this game. <laughs> again, that's, that's it's a little bit. About that, that includes, 150
0: more than the first game.
1: Yeah, and that includes some Tredavious White you know, data in here. So, you know, maybe a bump that up a little bit to, you know, you get it to closer to 170, 175. But I, I just don't see him throwing it a lot. But they may just run run the ball down the, the Bills' throats and it may not matter. And the fact, like you said, you know, as we talked about, the Josh Allen, you know, deep passes are just not going to be there because you just can't you just can't catch them uh in this weather. So um, you know, lower scoring would lend itself to the Patriots here getting anything over a field goal. So if I had to take a side, I'd probably lean that way, but I, I personally just can't pull the trigger, and I'm just am sitting, with the, uh, sitting with the under myself.
0: Fair enough. Well, let's touch on one more game, flipping the page to Sunday, probably the marquee game of the weekend, the 49ers at the Cowboys. There is a side you have pulled the trigger on. Why don't you go ahead and break that down briefly for us?
1: Yeah, and I kind of uh, – I think I uh, gave away the secret since I'm on <laughs> San Francisco to, to make the Super Bowl anyway. Uh, but I am on the Niners plus three here. I, I would take the you could just take the money line and not even worry about the points, but um, but yeah, I, I would take the three here. And so um, and I know this line is only going one way, it was only going down, so I wanted to grab it at three. Uh, I just think the Niners as they currently are constructed, you know, assuming Trent Williams will play, um, they are to me equally power rated in my eyes as the Cowboys. Maybe you can give the Cowboys a point here uh, uh, above San Francisco, but um, to me, they're essentially the same team. Uh, and so I don't think the home field advantage for Dallas is worth anything, or at least not a lot, not enough to get you to three. So I think the Niners are, are obviously one of the better teams in the NFC. I, I mentioned you know earlier that they fit that kind of historical trend of, you know, a team in the top seven of uh, offensive EPA, uh, making it to the Super Bowl. You know, they're they're up there. I think they're fifth uh, on offense. They're number one in the NFL in yards per play uh, since week nine. Um, uh, I'm. I was. Let me like, look at one more thing here because I did just had a, a different number. Um, yeah, they're number one in the NFL in net yards per play uh, since week nine. They're number one in offense, number four in defense. Um, you know, Dallas is actually. 19th in the NFL and they faced an easy schedule. I didn't include week 18, by the way, that, that Eagles game doesn't count in my eyes. Um, they're they're the, the one of the, the seventh easy, easiest schedule in the NFL and they're 19th in yards per play. They've really struggled. They've beaten nobody. If you look at um, you know who they faced in the last half of the year, it's been, you know, Tyler Heineke twice, uh, the, the Washington off of, you know, two COVID situations. You had the giants um, obviously, maybe the worst team in the NFL um, you know, they faced a bunch of, you know, the, the Philly backups. Like they, they have not really played anybody except for the Cardinals and the Cardinals beat them. And I was on the Cardinals that game. I thought that line was, was ridiculous. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, even though they're, they're a solid team, they're not nearly as good as some of their numbers indicate. Um, and I think from a matchup perspective, you know, the Niners are number two in DVOA run defense. Uh, we know that Dallas loves to establish Zeke Elliott here uh, on the ground. I think I don't think they're going to be able to. So they're essentially going to be forced to throw. And, you know, the, the weakness of this team for San Francisco is in their back end, is their secondary. And some of their numbers, you know, um, you know they're 18th in, in DVO, DVOA pass defense. But I think they're a little bit misleading because they haven't, you know, they haven't had a lot of their guys back there. Kwan Williams, one of the better slot corners in the NFL uh, for the last handful of years. You know, he missed a few games. He's back. He came back last week. Uh, Manuel Mosley, who isn't a household name, but he's a very solid NFL quarterback. A uh, top twenty in um, you know PFF coverage grade, he missed about a month and a half. He came back last week, so you've got those two guys. I think those are that they've only played together in nine of seventeen games this year. Um, so you had some shuffling, you had some young guys, Ambry Thomas, and some others who had to play. Um, you know, so that that skewed some of their their poor. Uh, pass defensive numbers it's still not one of the better units you know on their team but it's it's good enough i think right now so they're finally healthy their pass rush is awesome they're the second most sacks in the nfl since week nine we know about bosa and those guys they don't need to blitz to get pressure uh, which is a good thing because dak really does uh eat up the blitz um you know no michael gallup i think will hurt a little bit for for dallas because that that uh, takes away probably their best deep threat um and then on the other side of the ball i mean the, the, the offense for for san francisco i think when you know, they've got all their pieces there. They're they're really, really hard to handle. I mean, you've got Elijah Mitchell, who's been an awesome, um, one of the better running backs when you look at success rate in the NFL. You've got George Kittle, obviously great tight end, uh, going up against a Dallas defense, which is 22nd in defending tight ends this year. Um, you know, they're 19th in the middle of the field, and we know that Jimmy G always throws in the middle of the field. Uh, but really, the, uh, the, the matchup I love, and I could talk about one prop that I've taken for sure that's still – I think the number's still good, is Debo Samuel. So – Debo is just impossible to tackle. Like I think anyone who's watched this team play, he is a bull. You cannot get him down. And the numbers back that up. He's number one in the NFL among wide receivers in yak yardage per reception at 10.2. It's a full 1.6 yards over the number two player. Um, and that's just re- that's just receiving. And he's ha- he's been number one for a couple of years now. This is not a fluke. Um, obviously, he's getting more carries now on the ground. And he is number one in PFF's elusive rating, um, which essentially it's just for running backs, and you know Debo is considered a running back in this case. Um, but he by far is number one. That's essentially how many tackles have you kind of forced um, the defender to miss, um, breaking tackles. Although it's it's a formula that kind of gets you there. So he's just really hard to get down. The secondary for Dallas is 31st in the NFL in yards after the catch allowed. So. Um, Trayvon Diggs takes a lot of chances. He's not a great tackler. He will not be able to get down Debo Samuel on his own. So, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think they're going to feed him um, on both sides of the ball. I mean, the running in terms of uh, running the football, Dallas has faced a very weak schedule 28th in the NFL, um, in terms of yards per carry allowed against a 27th ranked schedule. When you look at yards per carry now, on a success and efficiency rate, uh, rating perspective, they're not bad, they're 12th. But th- what happens is they give up a ton of, of explosive runs. They're 26 in explosive runs. So, you know, on a play-by-play basis, they're okay. They may limit you, but they also allow up a ton of big chunk plays. And so that lends me to not only the Niners, but also I think Debo Samuel, you can get over 28 and a half rushing yards. And this number to me kind of floored me because I couldn't believe it. when you When you dig in, so the first half of the season, he barely got any carries on the ground. Um, I think he only had six carries in the first, you know, eight games. Um, And then once some of the players for the Niners, Elijah Mitchell, and um, they had some running back issues, he started to get much more involved in the run game. Um, The last eight games, he's essentially been a part-time running back. He's carried the ball 53 times. So at least five carries per game in every game, averaging close to seven carries and 43 rushing yards per game. So easily, you know, eclipsing that 28 and a half yards. Now, sometimes when you see that from a prop perspective, you know, there might be some outlier games that really push that average up and that that's not a good way to look at things you should look at the median games um, and so even if you do that it's his median rushing game is 36 and a half in the last nine weeks so he really uh, has cleared this mark easily um, in all but one game and that one game was Houston where Jimmy G did not start it was Trey Lance and so they clearly stuck more players in the box it was you know a lot less room to run for Debo so you know, that and on top of all the, the rush defensive metrics I, I talked about with Dallas and the fact that they allow a lot of explosive runs, which again uh, lends its hand to, to Debo here. Um, when you dig a little bit deeper, um, the 49ers, or sorry, the, the Cowboys do a pretty good job of stopping the run inside the tackles where they really struggle on the edges. Um, they are 27th and 16th in, a, in PFFs, or sorry, in football outsiders adjusted line yards metric um so essentially how many yards are you allowing kind of separate from the running back kind of uh, you know how how often are you kind of getting gashed uh, on the edges and they're you know one of the worst in the nfl on on the, the right side of the edge 16th in the nfl on the left side and debo samuel runs 58 percent of his carries so far this season on the edges averaging over seven yards per carry and 26 percent of those runs have gained at least 10 yards so you're getting big explosive plays around the edge so i think all of that it's a lot of information i know but all of that lends me to this over. I think it really should be in the low 30s. I'm kind of stunned that it's sitting at 28 and a half. Um, and again, that might just be a case of if you t- if you look at his season long numbers, I think it's more like 23 yards per game. But if you just say, well, the first half of the year, he wasn't being used the same as he is now. If you just isolate the second half of the season, which I did, it's well above that. It's closer to 43 yards. So all that being said, that's a prop that uh, I think has got a lot of value. And I think he's just going to have a huge game in general.
0: I love that breakdown. And I'm curious to know if you have a price ceiling for the prop, understanding that there is some availability right now at 28 and a half. But after people hear this, and I know that uh, you have a pretty big influence in this market, um, once props become more widely available and more of the audience has access to get down at this, what is the price ceiling for Debo Samuel Rush Yards over?
1: Yeah. So I, because you do have to take an account, I will say one thing with these props, you know, the overs always look good, right? Because you always assume perfect, you know, you're going to play every game and everything's going to go the way you, (laughs) you think it will. So you can't assume that you have to discount it a little bit because of potential injuries, right? Um, Potential blowouts, those sorts of things. So um, even if it's discounted, I would probably take it up to 32, uh, even 32 and a half uh, I'm okay with. You know, once you start getting in the mid-30s, then it gets a little dicey because then you kind of, you know, um, all of the, the risk is kind of then taken into, um, you know, is, is part of this deal. So um, I, I think kind of low 30s, anything in the kind of 32 and a half or below, I think is good.
0: Love it. Well, I will do a quick recap of the TA stamp of approval wildcard weekend portfolio. Based on this conversation, we've got Raiders plus five. Patriots bills under 44 Niners plus three and Debo Samuel over 28 and a half rush yards good up to 32 and a half and for what it's worth I'll add my play on the Patriots plus four also liking Darren Waller over 58 and a half receiving yards and you brought up a good point about Mac Jones probably time to give a good look at him to potentially go under 204 and a half passing yards
1: sounds good to me I like that portfolio